And welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something. This week, it's from the Meltzer Five Star Project sub-series. As your co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and your other co-host... Simon Cross. Talk about a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. Now, we are in the time... Well, we're in a slightly delayed period of time to where it's usually supposed to be coming out... But it's uh, really the most wonderful time of the year for Dave Meltzer's five-star ratings, usually. Although, given the slightly depleted field of this year's G1 Climax, maybe this will be over a bit sooner than we expected. But yes, it's G1 Climax time, G1 Climax 31. And the first of those matches to get five stars or higher has come out. It's actually got five and a half stars. And it was the main event of the first night of the G1 Climax. Stars as you mean to go on, it seems. Although, as the time of recording, it's the only one to get five stars so far. There's been a few subsequent four and three quarters, but nothing's getting the five or higher rating except for this 11 out of 10 encounter. Simon, what are we talking about today? We're talking about Shingo Takagi taking on Tomohiro Ishii, baby. So it seems like really the G1 Climax has really been the special time, not just for New Japan, but for Ishii in particular. It was really the G1 Climax matches that brought him to greater attention. These clashes against the likes of Katsuyori Shibata, his chaos teammate Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Hiroki Goto. And he very soon became essentially like the MVP of the tournament insofar as always giving a guaranteed great match, sometimes... An exceptionally good match. I'd be curious, actually, to check. We haven't got the stats in front of us how many five-star matches he's now accumulated in the G1. But they are pretty much all the... The only five-star I can think of that he was involved that wasn't G1-related was that one he had with Tomoaki Homma for the Never Openweight title. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Yes. And that's where it's been. And he's facing the man that, until his recent IWGP World Heavyweight title victory... He comes into this tournament as the champion, therefore the guy with the biggest uh, target on his back or his front or wherever you want to put a target, Shingo Takagi, who I thought was really going to inherit his mantle as the the workhorse of the tournament, the guy that you can put up against anyone and he'll have a great match, the guy that can convincingly beat anyone on his best day, but also convincingly lose to anyone, and it doesn't hurt their aura, but maybe oftentimes enhances the aura of the person that he's taking on. Mm. And I think, if I remember it correctly, this isn't the first time these guys have had a five-star match at the G1 Climax, or a, or an above five-star match at the G1 Climax. And that it's not, no. Ishii was one of the first real big scalps that Takagi had. Because when Takagi stepped up to the heavyweight division, he struggled a bit more than his other junior heavyweights stepping up at the time of Will Ospreay. And I think in the last G1, he didn't even come out of it with like a, a positive win record. I think he finished it on eight points. And yet now he's gone in through a, a series of um, unexpected events over the past year or so. <laughs> to say the least. To be the the world heavyweight champion. Essentially, the current ace of the, of the 
promotion if you go by whoever's the champ is the ace. Yeah. And he's certainly many people's pick for the best wrestler of the year overall. I think he's had more five stars than anyone so far. But how have you felt about Takagi so far this year? I feel he's growing into uh, the role of champion. The What I admired about this match in particular is he seems now... He's improved at getting the crowd on side and like getting them to come with him. But he's improved at like selling in a way where it takes... He can sort of endure the big wave of offense that Ishii throws at him. But he's also a threat. So he's never like down for long. He portrays... I think he really portrays himself well as a champion. I think he's... I think he's a very good champ. But I do think that maybe the story going into this match to me was almost Tomohiro Ishii thinking that Takagi's not quite at that level yet and he's really going to push him to his limit with this one. This is really classic Ishii match format, but taken to even maybe an even higher level in that it's if you want Ishii to sell, it's going to take a lot for him to do so. And there's so much of what, is the Ishii specialty, I suppose, which is the delayed cell, where he takes forearms or elbows or whatever, stands as if nothing hurts him, knocks the opponent down, and at that moment, like it's almost like the adrenaline rush is gone, and the effect actually starts to show. Mm. Or the body gives out like mid-move, like we see at like, mm. one point in this uh, match. Mm. I, have, I have a soft spot for Ishii, as like uh, previous... Listeners to previous ICU matches that we've covered will know. And who knows, in this crazy world we, that New Japan seems to uh, be going through, although um, their emergency, I think Japan's emergency measures end at the end of this month, so maybe booking gets back to normal a bit somewhat. But I don't know, maybe I was hoping for like an Ishii, like another title shot or two or something like that. But now there's less titles, it's, it's sort of taken that opportunity away really oh, he'd be a great IC champion well yeah but such a thing doesn't exist anymore as you say so it, that's one of those quirks of timing ultimately even the greatest uh, wrestlers of all time have had to have a bit of luck on their side insofar as they possess something that was being looked for at that moment well timing is everything in professional wrestling both in ring and career wise yeah and the fact that both of these guys are not New Japan dojo graduates that makes that a compelling look as well they're almost again they're like having to prove something like to show that they're worthy of being there yeah. i suppose to show that they have that fighting spirit or whatever it is you want to call it takagi coming from dragon gate and ishii coming from war and a, a variety of other places but war was where he um, graduated and they make references to tenru in this match both in commentary and in the match itself. Mm. I think Takagi does the Tenru elbow on him at one point. What is fascinating with Ishii is that it's like... I think it's and of that Suzuki school that so many non-New Japan wrestlers try to imitate, but I don't think they get the hidden depths to it. As I've been saying, that it's not just no-selling, it's the delayed selling. I think the one that gets it out of anyone outside of New Japan and outside of Japanese wrestling is probably Eddie Kingston. Yeah. He's the one that clearly is most influenced by it, but takes it in the right direction, I suppose. But he's selling in a, in a way that it's almost shut, like eventually there are too many chinks in the arm. In a weird way, it's almost Brock Lesnar-esque 
in the, the, the sense of invulnerability, but actually the cracks start to show, and then when they really start to show, they're, they're, they're swimming in the deep waters and you're not sure if they're going to get out. Yeah, like he's in proper peril, like with Styles locking him in the calf crusher. Uh, Survivor Series, a really great example. Yeah, and with Ishii, that's him constantly having issues with his hand and his arm as the match goes on. Yeah, and the commentary... Um... They do a really good job of like pointing out like how tight the wrap is, like look how swollen his hand is. They lay groundwork as well for obviously the viewer going on. He's doing a great job, but he's also backed up by great commentary highlighting what he's trying to do. I've always said that uh, my my idea of where Takagi was being positioned in the card was almost a replacement of Ishii, the big power hat. Well, the the smaller size but powerful wrestler. The one that's sort of too big for a junior, maybe too small in the conventional sense for a heavyweight. But they're able the to The Cameron Jerome of New Japan. Mm. But they're able to carry they're able to pull it off through through their solidity as much as anything. You look at Ishii yeah. and you know that, that guy is just like <laughs> a raw stake in human form. Essentially. <laughs> You know that bit in uh, Rocky where he's punching the meat carcasses? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what yeah. she is as a physique. Well, yeah, like I say, like I think wrestlers' nicknames sometimes are a little bit of a stretch. It's a little bit of wishful thinking. Tomohiro Ishii is very much the stone pit bull. <laughs> and as I said, I thought that Takagi was almost his inheritor of that mantle. And I still think that that's there in the sense that they do repeat certain spots with each other. Oh, yeah. At one point, Takagi kicks Ishii in the back, and Ishii stands straight up, and then he's like having none of it. And similarly, he does the same to Takagi, and Takagi does the same thing to him. Think, you know, as is often the case with these matches, it's an anything you can do, I can do better. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a little bit sibling esque. It's like, oh, I, 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 I've seen your cool move. I'm gonna make it cooler. I'm gonna do it better. That they remind me very much of like cousins that see each other occasionally, but like just love roughhousing. And they're they're two fantastic workers who can also adapt, and they both have to adapt in this match really well. I thought one of them was uh, the one that you alluded to, where his uh, they essentially botch a superplex attempt, which is a scary, scary thought. Mm. And Takagi manages to land on his feet on on the fall down. And Ishii does a thing that I usually hate with a with a botched spot is that he goes and try and he and he repeats it what they were supposed to do the first time. Yeah. But what makes it work and it's a sign of his great work as a as a performer and getting you interested in it is that he starts shaking at his arm whilst he's setting Takagi up. So it's like this time I'm going to make sure everything is. Like... So the reason that that went through was what well, that didn't go through was not because he botched it. It was because his arm wasn't in the right place. It was like someone trying to sell a body slam, like trying to do a body slam and their back gives out. That's why they made it work as if it were a spot within the context of the match. And so that works with what they've set up already. It's a really great bit of commentary again, which supplements that is when they, I think it is Chris Cohen, uh, says, don't tell Tomohiro Ishii he can't do something. Because he will just do it until he can get it, gets it done. Stone Pitbull, stubborn, works. Like, it was a slip, but it fits the character. Like, it worked. Like I say, thankfully, Shingo landed relatively well, considering 
it's fine. Like it's fine. We got away with one. I was going. Another thing I was going to say about like Ishii is the way he moves. Like it's with purpose. He, the way he like doesn't seem to waste a lot of motion. He does waste motion when he gets into his um, pride moments where he's like, inviting the forearms. But every New Japan match has that to an extent. Well, if anything, though, he's standing still. So he's not wasting motion, but he's absorbing punishment that he doesn't need to. Yeah, yeah. But to prove a point and to psychologically get one up on his opponents. And that is what it is. I think this whole thing is Ishii... Like, a lot of the time, it's the aggressor going after the champ because they know if they even if they don't win the G1, if they win that match, then they're in line for a title shot. With mm. this one, I think it is more just... I think Ishii sees Takagi having to prove as much as he does. To, to, as he does to Takagi as the champion. I, again, it's one of those ones where you wonder if you knew the Japanese they were saying, yelling at each other. At one point early on in the match when Ishii's on the ground and Takagi's literally got his foot on his face, Ishii's still talking shit to him from that grounded position. Well, he's one of those wrestlers um, that you, you don't kill him. You don't knock him out. You just stop him for just about long enough. Yeah. I was gonna just going to go back. So as we had Ishii with the improvised reworking of the superplex spot. At one point in this match yeah. towards the end, Takagi blocks a brain buster, picks him up. And I think he was meant to do a different move. He was maybe meant, meant to do the last of the dragon to be reversed into a dragon suplex, which was one of the spots afterwards. But instead, mm. they weren't really in the right position. But what he knew he had him in place for was essentially a Death Valley driver, a pop-up Death Valley driver. And he snaps that straight out as well, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. And again, I think that was an improvised spot in that, like, it's not going to work, but because of where we are, he makes it look effortless. Like, this is just something yeah. that nerdy people like me will notice. If you're just a normal person, you wouldn't see anything wrong with it. And you figure, this is just within the flow of the match. Similar that I think what Ishii did earlier on, it's enough to make you think... They've worked with it. They've taken it and worked with it. Like like Leonardo DiCaprio cutting his hand in uh, Django Unchained and they oh, kept yeah. the scene going. That's uh, that's where great performers do something unique and, and adapt to the situation. Well, the, bless, the best, play, ugh, best laid plans of Mice and Men oft go awry. And it's how you adapt that really sets good people apart from great people you ever heard eddie Izzard's routine about what what plans are mice laying exactly <laughs> and uh, she imagines this whole great escape scenario involving mice <laughs> it's very good so as is the case with a lot of g1 even though this is a long one actually as far as g1 climaxes go one of the things that is exciting about them is that they have that 30 minute time limit so we we can't get too much of an overbooked mess i wanted to ask you about that yeah. actually do you reckon that's them angling more towards longer matches tend to be given uh, the ratings or do they, are they just trying to give more wrestling or like top themselves? I think it's a case that they've got so few guys out there that can have good, great matches. The ones that can, we're going to have to make them go a bit longer because we can't rely on having seven, uh, 50, 60 minutes worth of great matches across three matches on the card. Instead, it's going to have yeah. maybe, maybe across one or two. Because the other match that I was a little bit surprised didn't get the full five stars from Dave was the uh, Tanahashi-Okada match that went 29-30-something. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, it's not so it's nothing new, especially with Okada. When Sonata finally beat him in the G1, that match went like 29-50 as well. The, so they didn't go so far as to ramp it up 
to that tension, but they went as long as they could without it then becoming the story of the match, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I wish they didn't do the headbutt spots, because both because it's dangerous, but also because everyone does it. And it doesn't really... I mean, they sell it well, but I just don't need to see people really smacking each other in the head, no matter how controlled you can do it. I don't need to yeah. see that in my wrestling for me to be fully entertained, and the sooner it goes away, the better. When we look at how much we hated the vertical head drops in all Japan, you don't yeah. really see that bump anymore in, no. in most wrestling. It's usually, at the very least, a shoulder and neck bump. And so that if that can die out, then I would like for this to die out. And unfortunately, whilst it was probably the Misawa death, unfortunately, that led to that change, the Shibata retirement didn't seem to do the similar thing for that spot. Although there are no headbutts of that severity. I don't want them to be pushing towards it. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is it. Like People always push the envelope a little bit more Mm. and a little bit more. Mm. And hopefully it's not... Well, it already has been pushed too far, but hopefully people don't get... Go down the same garden path, basically. But it's... Because you can do the worked headbutt spot, which is sort of how Drew McIntyre does it. Which does involve thigh slapping, of course. A lot of people's bane of a different kind. But (laughs) I'd rather they were slapping their thighs than actually hitting their heads. Yeah. And similar, actually, to how I complimented the recent match of the week, Shawn Michaels' Triple H Hell in a Cell, where it finishes with Triple H somewhat realising, oh, shit, he's in position for a pedigree. With this one, it's when they're exchanging the headbutts and Takagi headbutts him. And then Ishii sort, sort of flops onto his body. Yeah. Takagi's like, oh shit, he's in position for Last of the Dragon. Let's <laughs> do it. Last of the Dragon for the win. And it is a case of each of them, you know, the classic Japan thing of, especially the all Japan, of the tiered finishers. They go for each thing and they're not enough. And so now it's like to get this guy, this is... Not quite my murder, death, kill move because they don't really have that anymore in, yeah. in Japanese wrestling. But it is like their tippy top finisher because the sliding lariat doesn't do it for Ishii. The vertical, but he tries with the vertical drop, brainbuster, and never hits it. I, I, yeah, what I like about him never hitting the brainbuster is the protection of the finisher we've got there. Like because I have, I do feel on the whole we're going too far in the non-protection of finishes sometimes. I think New Japan still do that. Except for the, weirdly, except for the Rainmaker, I suppose, but the, but then they went back on that by just having Okada not get to use it for ages, through choice. And as I've said several times before, I think it was the fact that Takagi, more than anyone, made the money clip actually look like a devastating finisher that I think is one of the main reasons why he is currently the guy holding the world title going into a G1 climax. And you would assume, given how close we are already to Wrestle Kingdom, although there is obviously at least one title match that can be booked, no spoilers except an implication along the way, you're going to assume he's going to be part of the triple Wrestle Kingdom main events going forward. At least one of them anyway. So if you were to give an over-under, just looking at the, the roster of talent now, and the fact that we've already had Okada, Tanahashi, we've already had a couple of... Well, we're not going to get any Tetsuya Naito matches after his first one against Zack Sabre Jr., which I think was another one that got either four and a half or four and three quarters from, from Meltzer. Yeah. What do you think will be the total number of five-star matches we, we actually cover in this 
series this year. I don't think it'll be any more than four, personally. Including the final. Because there's no, there's no Jay White, there's no Will Ospreay, there's no Naito now. I mean, the lineup is pretty weak. I think I'm inclined to agree with that. I, I was trying to like put more of an optimistic tilt on it, but no, I can't see five. So yeah, four, four or less, I, I would go along with. Well, yeah, this is the lineup for Block A. Uh, the Block A group is uh, the Great Okan, Tangaloa, Yajiro Takahashi. Coach Ribushi, Toriyano, Kenta, Zack Sabre Jr., Naito, who's now out, Takagi and Ishii. Uh, Ishii against Sabre and Ibushi could do it. Similarly, Takagi, although I think his match with Zack Sabre Jr. did get rated by Meltzer and that didn't get five stars either. So it really is like <clears> two, <throat> three max from that group. And then Block B, you've got Evil, Yoshihashi, Jeff Cobb, Chase Owens, Sonata, Tamatonga, Taichi, Goto, Okada, and Tanahashi. Again, maybe because we won't probably agree with it, but maybe Meltzer will go five stars for another Okada Sonata match. Maybe. And we'll get to do that gag again. Has Cobb uh, fought Okada yet? He, in, not in the G1. They did have a match just before the G1, which Cobb won, and Meltzer gave that four and three quarters. See, maybe. Maybe. Well, I'm guessing that's going to be the block decider. Yeah. And so... But we'll have to hold off of those predictions. This may genuinely be the only G1 Climax match we cover this series, with this year, which is startling to think about. And not necessarily a great sign of where New Japan is right now. As you said, the emergency mm. protocol's been lifted. Guys like Will Ospreay and Jay White, and maybe some more talent not currently under New Japan contracts, but in promotions that have relationships with New Japan, could really spice things up. We have a number of youngsters in the New Japan's US dojo system that I think, you know, if there hadn't been COVID, Carl Fredericks would have probably made his G1 Climax debut this year, I would have predicted. If there hadn't been COVID, we probably would have had John Moxley again. Because he's, he's, he's like the Forbidden Door conduit right now in AEW. That, that's obviously ramping up to him wrestling someone at Wrestle Kingdom, I suppose. His obsession is Tanahashi. So that would be the logical one. And Tanahashi is now the US champ. If yeah. they can hold off on that for three months, then great for them. And depending on um, certain agreements and what storylines are in place, maybe next year's G1 is the one to make up for this G1. Possibly, and at that point there might be, like I said, there'll probably be guys like Carl Fredericks in there. There might be, by that time, I don't know if Ren Narita's going to be seen as a heavyweight or a junior. Shota Umino, there are other guys that could really spice things up. And like you've got to, hopefully, touch wood, with the world being back to normal or as close to it as it's ever going to be, you'll have a deeper pool of exotic uh, yep. gaijin to choose from. Potentially, potentially. From many different corners of the wrestling world. But that is it for this one. Is that it for G1 Climax 31? We'll have to wait and see. We've not asked the golden question. Would you give this match five stars? No. I would go somewhere around four and a half, personally. I really, really enjoyed it. But there's nothing. there was nothing unique in it that really blew my mind. I will, because it's incredibly good at what it's doing. I will give I will add the caveat that 
it's something I've seen a lot before from these two men, but I feel it's a very good version of what that is. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're a bit of a five-star slut these days. That's no problem. (laughs) Well, look. My, how the turntables. In terms of um, two beefy men beating the hell out of each other, these are possibly my two favourite to do it in the world at the moment. But yeah, what is the next match for you, Simon? The next match is Kenny Omega, who we've seen before on this list, but a naughty little newcomer, a debutante. It is the one and only American Dragon, Brian Danielson. I'm not going to lie, I've wanted this moment for such, such a long time, and it warms the cockles of my heart that it's finally here. Well, it is the final countdown to this episode. Uh, That's one week away. If you want to get in touch with Simon to talk about any kind of butchering that he likes, then how can they do so, Simon? Uh, You can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the main free types of meat that should be in any standardised mixed grill. Chicken breast, steak, a lovely, lovely posh sausage. But my name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, as in anticlimactic, which is what I think a lot of people found the G1 Blocks announcement to be. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you're putting out gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. Lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and a half star time. Until the next time.